Feeling good should be natural and easy. This is why Trumi have taken some of the best US-grown ingredients and infused them into one of the most delicious gummies on the shelf. Nootropics shouldn't have to taste like the earth. And with Trumi, you don't have to worry about that. These delicious treats can help you conquer your days and stay on track with whatever this increasingly crazy calcavade of madness that is existence throws your way. Try the Lion's Mane Mushroom Gummies for focus or the Black Raspberry Reishi and Melatonin Gummies for sleep. Find your true me with Trumi and explore the natural world of nootropics. Today's podcast is sponsored by the guys in the flag jackets. Gary and Jim are the guys in the flag jackets. Every week, these two sit down and discuss a wide variety of political issues, all the way from the weird and wonderful world of local politics to more obscure political ideas and concepts. Ever wondered about the 1979 Chicago mayoral election? Well, I hadn't either until these guys came along and blew my mind. Or did you know that the layout of the ballot can have a crazy influence upon the way you vote? Neither did I, but thankfully Gary and Jim were there to tell me all about it. So if you want a fun and intriguing look into US politics from a unique perspective, check out the guys in the Flag Jackets podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find the link in the description below. You know, when I have a gig or whatever, people like to see it promoted. So it like helps people feel like I'm taking their stuff seriously. Yeah. But I, I haven't invested in growing it in age just because it's such a time suck, right? Like if you're on Twitter and you want it to grow, you gotta be active a lot. Oh, fucking no. Don't tell me. I hate it. I really <laughs> like I can't wait for the I say I can't wait. As if it's definitely gonna happen. It will definitely happen. Yeah. The moment where I can just hand my social media off to somebody else. Yeah. Cause it just like I, I occasionally like want to put some thoughts out there. I'll see something that someone says that's just incredibly dumb, and I'm just like, "Are you this stupid? Yeah, really." Yeah. Uh, but apart from that, I just the people who have the energy to just go—they're just like constantly in battle with people. It's like, yeah. my God, man, where do you get that? Even like from a like, because it, it it is true that particularly when it first started, less so now. I think now you know, TikTok and IG and a lot of the video stuff has taken preference for comics. But when it first came out, Twitter was a really great way for comics to raise their profile, right? But that meant doing shitloads of news jokes and they have a, like, you have to be the first one to think that thing. Otherwise, they're used to it. So you, to do that, it's like a full-time job. You have to read the news headlines, pump out 10 jokes, hope one of them's good. It's like, that's a real lot of admin. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. And and like the, the thing that gets me as well is like how do they do this on like I don't honestly understand how the people do it on so many platforms. Yeah, it, it is it's, it's one that is very interesting to me in that I've had a handful of friends, let's say ten, um, who have in varying degrees quit their job to pursue comedy full time. And it is absolutely true that the most successful of my friends did that early in their career. Ronnie Chang, this guy Dill from back home who wins a bunch of awards. And that, but so so there is absolutely something in like being singular in your intention, right? Yeah, this is the thing. The thing that it doesn't show you is of the other seven, like they've taken 10 years out of their career or whatever it took them till they decided, oh, this isn't working for me. And they've got nothing to show for it. And you're this like 30 year old dude who's got a half 
decent followed Twitter account going into the world being like, oh, I can I can say dumb shit about the news. Yeah, so can everybody else now. And <laughs> and the thing is, like, it's not even like they can go into social media management as a job because if Twitter's your thing, like, it changes so much that, like, what you learned today is irrelevant. It's like, no, I don't understand how people have the time. And it really, it must be because you're pursuant to something that is adjacent to like this profile building, mm. but it is going, it's going all in. Yeah, no, you really have like, cause I, I ditched all of my non Twitter things. Basically yeah. I was on a, I was on a fuck Mark Zuckerberg campaign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not that any of the rest of them are that much better, no. but I just got particularly incensed by, um, like, I know it's come out that Twitter were doing it too, that the government, the US government were working with with uh, Facebook to remove people. Like, they announced that, like, in a yeah. press conference. Not even, like, it came out, like, recently with the DHS and all the leaks. No. Like, it, they literally announced it in a press conference. I was just like, fuck this. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd been, like, teetering on the edge of trying to get rid of most of my social media. And I was like, nope, there you go. There's the reason. Yeah. And, and just went for it where got rid of Instagram, Facebook, and just... Because it was such a time suck. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I find actually by putting a bit more effort into the only having Twitter to promote the show that I got like started to get more of a following on there, yeah. which was hilarious because people were like, oh, you know, aren't you going to miss out on followers? I was like, no, I'm getting more. Yeah, yeah, because you're doing one well, right? It is with the government uh, stuff. It is really funny because there is still somewhat occasionally a comic who will be like, because I don't use TikTok yet, but I understand why comics are moving there. And there's still occasionally an older comic who will be like, yeah, but what about how they share stuff with the Chinese government? And it's like, I mean, I've got to be honest, I'm more likely to have to go to US than China. <laughs> and so, you know, as, as far as I can see, I don't understand what the the benefit to, to having my shit shared with them is to, to the Chinese. Like, I don't, like, how is this the line you're drawing in the sand? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, for me, the the TikTok one is like it's it's really it's they're super predatory in the the data harvest, and it's like it's like that it's like twi what Twitter and Facebook do on fucking steroids. Yeah. Like they're tracking everything, like all the way down to as far as I'm aware, like eye movement oh, whilst you're watching yeah. the the thing, which yeah. is like whoa. Do you know what though? You'd be surprised, right? Because I don't know if it still happens. But I, I, before I moved here, I worked at advertising agencies and they were definitely starting to roll out, you know, your digital billboards. They were doing eye tracking because that, yeah. that, that tracked engagement, right? So that would be anonymized, of course, because they don't, I'm, sh I'm not sure they're face capturing, although hypothetically they could. Yeah. But like, because this is like, and I'm talking 2017, right? Uh, one of the big agencies, Saatchi and Saatchi, rolled out automated billboards and the way they gauged their little metrics was eye, eye attention span, where, you, where your eye was tracking to, are you getting to the most important bit of information, how long do you last on the billboard before you look away. And it's weird because I don't, I don't know if it ever went anywhere, but one of the things that scared the fuck out of me at the time was that the most positive finding they had from the automated billboards was how incongruous it would be. And sometimes that just hit, in such a way that people were like double checking, which meant they spent more time on the ad and no person would ever write an ad that way. Cause it doesn't make sense. Mm. But in, when you're competing for attention, sometimes that's actually a good thing. And I was like, Oh, this is just going to ruin my job because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
I have a friend. I'm going to ask. I have a friend that works at Saatchi and Saatchi. I'm going to ask about that. Yeah, it was about it was 2016, 17, I think. And I think it was only in New York or one of the big populaces in the US. But yeah, they, they did this trial of this, essentially bunches and bunches of copywriter lines that a junior could have done, bunches and bunches of art direction that a junior could have done. And then the billboard just picked the way Google ads, I guess, does mm. this bit, this it's bit, like this A-B bit, testing. what happens yeah, now? Yeah. yeah. And live tested people's reaction to mm. it. And then would try and learn that way. Yeah. I mean, you can get super obsessed. Like, like Google did. They, they tried 42 different shades of, of blue, I think, for one of the buttons on, on Gmail. It's just like, okay, you're getting... Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like there's there's a certain number of resources you can dedicate to this and then it just becomes, like, insane to waste that amount of money and, and time and, and resources on it. But, the, yeah. But the funny thing that I'm just enjoying about the meltdowns about Twitter is, like... It's it's a people who seem to believe that Twitter is the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is amazing. They're like, like, like I saw one guy the other day. Like, I saw one who was like, there are children who will go hungry because of the blue check mark eight dollar thing. And I was just like, are you like? And it's uh, who was it? it? Was Mike uh, Mike Galsworthy or Galsworthy? Who's who's like a pretty reasonably normally very serious journalist saying this? And I was like, have you thought about what you're saying here, man? <laughs> and then someone else was like. Twitter is the main political communication tool. Like, they are going to destroy politics. And I was like, what? I, I find that, I mean, to be honest, I feel like, to some extent, I mean, I'm, I'm no Elon fan, but to some extent, he lets people, li- like, people let him, sorry, live in their head rent-free. Because I oh, think yeah. Elon is the one who started saying Twitter is the main public square. And then people, instead of saying well, this is a bit nonsense, uh, are arguing as if he's true, which legitimizes his product. Like, it does what he wants them to do. It's absolutely, Twitter is not the main public discourse. And if it was, we would have tr- troubles. But also, that doesn't matter who owns them. If your whole political dialogue is 240 characters and 90% of it are cartoon characters, that's the problem, right? Like, that is... It's not a blue check mark. It's not who owns them. It's that you've let your political discourse scale down to this. Mm. It's absolutely, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, you're, uh, you're right. Like, and the best bit is like, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to like make it better or worse. Yeah. But I mean, like they're, they're already condemned. They haven't even seen the plan yet and it's condemned. It's so yeah. funny. <laughs> I, 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 think as, I, I think as a thing, and this gets back to the whole social media thing, right? Is like, if you don't own the platform that's on, you can't invest too much because it is a private thing that mm. will do whatever. And and you, your job is not to dictate what, you know what I mean? You don't rock up to McDonald's with a menu. You, you're like, here's one I prepared earlier that you should try. You opt in or you opt out, right? It's yeah. like, and 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 to be fair, like Twitter is one that most people will publicly say, like, unless you want to be part of the dumpster fires, it's not for you, right? Like that is it's its unique selling point is that it descends worse than anything else. It gets grubbier and stupider. And partly that's by design. It's the anonymity thing, right? Facebook said you have to be a real person mm-hmm. or we're going to cull you. Whether they did it well or not, who gives a shit? Yeah. But they said that. And yeah. so they made people tie their opinions to a version of themselves. Mm. Twitter's unique selling point is 
you can be anyone and do anything with the comfort of the anonymity. And that is always going to lend itself to fucking chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Do you just want to pull that like just a bit this way? This. Like, there you go. Cool. Lovely. Um, yeah, no, you're right. It's the really is this like they've, they've, they've invested too much in, in believing that's it, which honestly, and I'm slightly like, I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen in the, in the coming sort of couple of years, because for, I'd say about the past 18 months, you've watched a lot of people on the right who have like decided that they're going to try and build their own thing. Yeah. Right. They're going to like say, okay, we have some of our content on YouTube or whatever it is, but most of our stuff is going to be on our own platform yeah. because we don't trust the people in charge of all these big tech firms to not take us off. And then we're totally beholden to all our stuff being there. Yeah. What they've started to do, like people like, um, like Tim pool in America, he started to, they, they built their own website and all their stuff is hosted there. And then they're putting loads of their own like shows, but only on their platform. And you pay like a little, like you pay I don't know, like $10 a month or something like that. And you get access to all their content. And I'm really interested to see if people on the left now start doing that because someone like Elon is in charge of Twitter and they suddenly go, oh shit, maybe it's not such a good idea to have all of our stock based in a platform that we have zero control over, just like you've said. And I'll be really interested to see if st people start and, and sort of move towards that. And you see it happening with people like saying, okay, now I'm going to be on Substack mainly or I'm going to be on something else. And it'll, it'll be really interesting to see what actually happens with the platform and whether like whether we've seen the end of like the centralization of all of these things and it's going to become like far more atomized again it's interesting right because i i, I completely see what you're saying and i don't like it you know what i mean like yeah because because there are variations in australia in particular of of uh left commentators who have tried to do something similar and to be honest what they tend to use most often is patreon right yeah like subscribe and you'll get my exclusive content there and i'll post bits and pieces and they use the censorship or whatever argument when they do it and and full full disclosure like i'm i'm a left voting left-leaning person right but what i find really troubling when people do that particularly if they are somebody who has built a profile over time is like at this point you can't say you're doing this to contribute to the political discourse you're doing this for money right mm. and at the minute that this is a financially motivated like you are doing this because your brand requires you to think a certain way your brand requires you to say a certain thing and that that takes out any of the authenticity any of the i'm doing this and and then you become no better than the people like it, it, a lot of them like to pit themselves against someone like alex jones blah blah mm. blah who has to be angry for opinion his whole brand yeah. depends on it right he can't be anything other than extremist because his followers won't accept <laughs> yeah. that right yeah. can you imagine alex jones coming on one night and being really serious oh my like god like he yeah. into infowars and he's like tonight on infowars and, yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and he just does a straight news story right <laughs> exactly but that's the point is like at that point you you've committed so far down a rabbit hole that 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 what you're saying can't be taken with any kind of seriousness because you have to compete with yourself and the brand and the image you've created. And the minute that people from the left do that, they're doing the exact same thing they're, they're, mm. they're rallying against, which, I mean, either you are somebody who cares politically about the shit you're saying and you require the freedom to learn and grow because that is what a person should do and to, to not have a predictable opinion, to be mm. multifaceted, 
Oh, you are a caricature of a political person who is grafting on dumb people for donations. And 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 again, one of the guys who I I don't like doing this put on this massive crowdfunding campaign so he could run his own political ads even though he wasn't running and it's like at that point actually is the better thing not who was this uh, it's a guy called dan from from australia he's a he's previously not a that, journalist not that Andrews. no 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 not no <laughs> no because he is actually in politics but no he's <laughs> like a former journalist slash comedian slash political commentator and it's like no at that point Either you care about the issue and you donate it to the whichever party you think best mm. represents you, or you don't take money off people so that you can essentially tack a political message to what is really a PR campaign for yourself. Mm. So what he was doing, he was he was like taking donations to. He like, ran was, did his he, own. Did he say that like the donations he was taking? were for this purpose yeah 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 it was all very and, so he and told he, them he was gonna like just run stupid he made the ads. ads first and and the, the ads were for essentially anti-conservative ads right they, they, they were funny political ads but it's like oh, i don't know why you needed to be part of this picture <laughs> yeah. i mean maybe felt none of the other politicians were gonna but i guess it depends if you, it depends how serious he was about it you know like, it depends if he was, like, seriously trying to make a point or whether he's just ridiculing them. He was, at least in the PR, and look, I've not talked to him about but at least in the PR, he was making it like he was going to make a difference. He, he was, Okay, so wait, he was selling it like he was, like, actually serious about it, and then it turned out to be a piss take. I don't even know. Like, like they were lighthearted, but I think they were serious. I think... I, th I I mean, it's hard when, when something gets garbled, yeah. you know, it's hard it gets, to... It like, so fucking self-referential and yeah. meta and you can't tell, like, behind 17 fucking layers. Yeah, where where was supposed to be the, the truth in this? Or, or not even the truth. What was the goal of this? What, yeah. what were you trying to achieve here, mate? But, yeah, it is... It, is, um, it, it, it turned out to be quite a light-hearted but politically serious set of billboards and things um despite the fact that he 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 crowdfunded for it mm. and therefore like what is your unless you are actually trying to get elected at which point you know go ahead like more than anywhere in the world australia you can run as an independent i think like we had uh, we had uh, the, the, the what do you call them the teal block they call them now there was like Eight independents that essentially ran on the back of fiscally conservative but socially progressive, and that 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 party doesn't exist in Australia. Okay. And like eight or nine independents won their seat, and so they they hold kind of a fair balance of power. That's interesting because you can't because because over there like it, we have a preferential runoff system, so people are comfortable voting minor parties. It's not like you waste your vote because if you're first you vote. We have some real obscure minor parties because of it. We have the Fishers and Shooters, for example, and then we have Animal Justice Liberation. If you vote, like, yeah, fishing and shooting, right? That's what I want. I'm the fishing and shooting guy. And then, lo and behold, nobody else is the fishing and shooting guy. <laughs> it's not like your vote goes nowhere. They go, okay, what was your second preference? And then, da-da-da-da. So, you know, he could have run as an... All of this is to say he could have run as an independent. It's fine. He might have won. <laughs> but but he wasn't interested in that. He was interested in a PR campaign 
disguised as political goodwill. Yeah, I mean, I think... Oh, yeah, I mean, people... Uh, I mean, if it, like... If there were, if if the people knew that it wasn't a serious campaign, yeah. people could fucking throw their money down the drain however they want. Yeah. Like- yeah, of course. I think my my bigger issue is with people. And and to be honest, I don't know who my issue is with. I'll caveat it like that. But I, I think it is with this whole industry that has sprung up around political adjacent commentators who are essentially grafting dumb people as cheerleaders for a version of their politics. Okay, yeah. With, without actually investing or committing. Because as I said, that, that becomes a one-way trip to really divisive opinions for money. And, and, and I think, I, I don't know, responsibility is a, a, a loaded word, but like, I do think the political discourse is better if, people can trust that the person saying the things that they're listening to mm. has those opinions actually as opposed to has those opinions because they know that will be good for their brand yeah no that that i could totally understand it's like i hate i hate grifters i fucking hate grifters it really fucks me off because mm. like there's a lot of people who are very serious and actually have legitimate opinions and like you said they aren't fucking predictable opinions yeah. That's the worst bit. That's actually probably the worst fucking part of our modern politics is the amount of people whose opinion is fucking predictable based on on whatever that like, like you know, it's like if you see you see the American flag um, in in someone's profile, you know they're gonna be exactly uh, down the line. And it's yeah. the same if you see a fucking European flag and the pronouns yeah. in someone else's. Like you 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 could, I could tell you all of their opinions without talking to them. And it's like we've lost a fucking individuality because yeah. people are nuanced normally and have like when when someone sits down and you really push them on something, normally they have way more nuanced opinions than they actually even realize themselves until they think about it. But like most of them are like like on they're like drones on fucking autopilot after hearing like the kind of grifter that you're talking about yeah. they just like absorb that opinion and decide that oh well i must agree with that because i agree with these six other things he says or or she says and then then therefore i must think all of these things it's so fucking boring like <laughs> and that the, the worst thing about it and and again the, i i will be completely non-partisan because it is a non-partisan issue but it is down to people as you said falling for grifters but it is the the sort of people who are most prone to really fucking take this to their core and make it their identity on either side of the argument are people who are not very smart and not very productive right <laughs> they're, they're just then the world is complicated and as a person in it you should be a bit like oh i don't know about that a lot of it is like oh i don't i don't know can somebody help me find the answer right but you have these i know i'm i'm thinking of specific high school friends here but like these people who it's like <laughs> you got a d average and then dropped out of uni first year because you were smoking cones and now you're gonna tell me on either side of the debate that you understand the science of of gender or economy yeah. or whatever it's like this is yeah, my favorite one at the minute is the is the list liz trust crash the economy and I'm like, you, like you, the, the person who studied, like who, who did like maths up to 16, you're going to tell me it was Liz, Liz Trust that crashed yeah. the economy? It's like, this shit has been like, listen to a banker. They'll tell you it's 40 years in the fucking yeah, making. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, uh, my, my favorite was absolutely, absolutely though, with, when 
like within weeks of the vaccine being out, people who 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 failed high schools like year ten science and have watched a YouTube video and they're going, nah, nah, I've I've done my YouTube, I've done my research on YouTube and I know about this stuff. And it's like, dude, if your plane was flying and you had a you know, you were like, oh, I'm not 100% sure about this. Would you be yeah. fucking knocking on the cockpit? Like, hey, mate, I've just watched some YouTube videos and I reckon you're doing this pilot shit all wrong. It's like, just... Yeah. And you know what the problem was as well? It's like people people were so sure about, like, their, their decision either way, right? It's like the people who, who, who chose to get it, demanding that this was the fucking... This was the, the, the way out of everything. It's like, oh, all I have to do is take the vaccine... And the world is going to be okay again. Yeah. And and like they put in their faith in the fucking pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. And all the way to, like you said, the people who were like, oh, no, 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 don't trust it. Not even a tiny bit. No, no, no. I, like I said, I've watched a couple YouTube videos. And like like that that takes away from the people who were then sitting with like legitimate, like, hmm, yeah. maybe we're like not doing exactly the right thing with like, like, um, like I had this guy on my show, um, Gert, Dr. Gert Vandenbosch, and he worked with Bill and Melinda Gates, yeah. um, did a lot of like vaccination programs with them. And he spoke to me and said, yeah, I'm not sure we should be giving it to everyone. I think this is a mistake in the middle of a pandemic because of um, basically it like it forces the the it forces like the the strains that aren't being like tackled by the vaccine to become the highly selected ones and they propagate and he was really worried that what we were going to see after the initial like lull because everyone got vaccinated was like then we're going to see it come back with a vengeance yeah, right and people like that like really serious legitimate like doctors and scientists then got lumped in with the morons who had no idea what they were talking about and it meant that the entire discussion around it became not like a nuanced sensible yeah. one about public health and about like how we deal with things like this it wasn't like a reasonable discussion it was a fucking twitter fight yeah the entire thing it was all 240 characters worth yeah. yes or no <laughs> yeah. and and this is the thing right and this is where the grifters really really muddy the water is because um and, and again on either side there are people doing it but my, my you know you gravitate to it the algorithm shows you what you respond to so i saw more grifters that were uh anti-vax but idiots because that's what i hate to respond to in the middle of the night and i remember <laughs> early in the time there was like this uh pediatrician right but she didn't call herself a pediatrician she called herself a doctor and she was on the steps of like a parliamentary building in the u.s i can't remember which one and she was saying none of my i i've given my patients this and not one of them have died from covid and it's like you treat kids they weren't the target yeah. demographic yeah, they're not the ones that need, yeah <laughs> that's a re that's really hilarious actually <laughs> And it's like, sure, you can have this opinion for money and I'm sure somebody's paying you very well. And factually, you are accurate. Not one of your patients probably did die from it because they weren't the fucking people who were dying from it, were they? Oh, yeah. That's hilarious, actually. The kids are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the kids with the, like the literal, like I think, like 99.99999% survival rate. None yeah. of them died out yeah. of the thousand I treated. It's like, well, no shit, Sherlock. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, gotta love it. Yeah. People, like, the, the, main, the main fucking thing here is that people are fucking insane yeah. and just, like, decide to take the most extreme positions. But like, 
What do you think we fucking do about this? I, I have no idea how we handle it. But what I do think... I, I don't want to be a... The internet is the problem. Because if you want to trace it back... The 24-hour news cycle wasn't good for it either, right? It, the, the kind of grifters we're talking about now, that kind of starts at 24-hour news because there is not 24 hours of news in a day, right? It's, I, I'm very much paraphrasing a Norm Macdonald bit here, but Norm Macdonald, one of the greatest comedians of all time, he really articulated it well because he'd be like, you know, the news makes you care about shit, upset about shit you shouldn't even be upset about. They'd say, they'll, they'll be like, this is Janice and she was hit by a car and died at 40. And when they say that to me, I don't give a fuck on account of the fact that I didn't know Janice. <laughs> but then they spend five minutes talking to her neighbours and her kids and they tell you what a great woman she was. And now I'm in love with Janice and I'm upset that she's dead. And it's that, it's that kind of, you know, having to fill news minutes that, that, that creates this predictable opinions for, for money. And, and I do, the idea that you give people kind of constructive thinking or, or, or like uh, any kind of critical thinking um, education as a combat to it is flawed because, you know, the average person, not that smart, you know what I mean? Yeah. And not just not that smart, not necessarily, like, if, where can you give them? You can give them to them in schools. And at, at high school, I thought I knew better, right? Like, I just... Yeah. It wouldn't have been, if you came to my high school and tried to tell me how to use Facebook as an adult, right? I'd have been like, go fuck yourself. I know Facebook. You're posting minion memes. Go back home and do that, you know? Um, so I don't know. I don't know how you, you fix it. But but you do, I do, I do think it's this weird supply-demand thing, right? As long as people keep giving grifters money, there will be grifters. And the beautiful thing about being a grifter is you grift as long as possible. And then the minute you're caught out, you disappear. You never give any of the money back though, right? Like you've already got all the money. Just think of like, you know, Yanni, for example, right? He's not doing much now, right? He, he's come out with a bunch of contradictory opinions in, in his time. He slowly faded from popularity. He has all the money. Like, you know what I mean? No one's, he's, no one's coming up and going, hey, you know that thing you said that I don't know if you actually believed. Who, it. who was this? Yanni. Um, I forget his last name now. Okay. Um, I don't know. I don't know him. Yanni. Oh no, not Yanni. I've I've made a faux pas. It's Milo. Milo. Yeah. Ah, yes, yes, Milo Yiannopoulos. Yes. Yes. Um, he 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 was he's been on a weird fucking journey, and it's like because he was a wasn't he a he was a Lib Dem. Yeah. And then he started being. Like a bit of a, he was just like a contrarian outrage merchant. Yeah. He was really quite entertaining for quite a long time, right? But like, I don't know how seriously he took any of his. Well, he opinions. didn't, but his audience did, and that's what I found fascinating, right? Because he's the, the, the that's the why I gravitated to him because he's the most clear example of, as you said, he was a contrarian outrage merchant. He didn't care what he said. Mm. It, he he clearly in had a really good understanding of the political discourse and how he could most use it to yeah, get yeah. himself in the headlines, to get donations. Da -da 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 -da. Um, yeah. The, back home again, I'm, I'm using a bunch of Australian references, but there's this guy, uh, uh what's his, Avi Yemeni. I don't know if you've yeah, seen him. Yeah. yeah. Avi 
will stand in floodwaters and ask for donations to True News or whatever, Rebel News, Rebel whatever News, his yeah, thing yeah. is. And he'll stand it. And it's like, he's talking about how hard the farmers have it and, oh, you know, the, the lefties want to take this away from them for whatever reason. I don't watch it. But, like, he'll stand in floodwaters and ask for donations for his news. And it's like, surely the farmers, mate. Like, if yeah. you give a fuck. Yeah, the, farm, the farmers, like, the farmers have the fucking... If anyone has ever, like, I don't know if you... Have you did you ever see um, that Clarkson's Farm? No, I haven't. I haven't. Man, highly recommended. Yeah. Like he's hilarious. Anyway, he's just he's just a great presenter. I'd, yeah. I'd fucking watch it, dude. Like like literally talk about it. And he's yeah, just yeah. he's just a funny guy. And of course, like episode one, he goes in and be, he's like goes to buy a tractor, and like someone shows him these like tiny little sort of really basic tractors. Like no, fuck that. And he goes and gets the Lamborghini tractor yeah. that won't fit in his fucking like <laughs> yeah, like. <laughs> but. Um, he was doing like a really great job actually it was like explaining like the farmers are like they have the fucking toughest job ever he was like you see we didn't have these subsidies like everyone everyone sits around thinking farmers are, are worth like like millions and yeah. shit like they might be sitting on a lot of land but that land brings them pennies on the acre yeah like they, they make nothing yeah and 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 it's one of those things right they're being shafted at all ends like the 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 the, the more we have uh, this is such an odd conversation of it. I, I love it, but uh, but like the more we have uh, commercial monopolies, the harder it is for them to have any bargaining power, mm. right? Even if you don't break the law, if you're only selling to a couple of people, it's harder. Da, 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 da. And then you have uh, the unpredictability of weather events, the fact that increasingly people are moving towards cities, which means work is harder, which means rates have to be more competitive, blah, blah, blah. And and as urban sprawl happens, you know, your real estate starts to get closer and closer to a city. So it goes up even if you're, what you're earning is going down. It mm. is, the, the amount of factors they're fighting off is absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then they've been dealing with like, they're dealing with, yeah, the last seven, eight years been fucking hot. And then yeah. they're dealing with like, on top of that, we're dealing with the fact that, like, I didn't even realize this till this year, right? And they were talking about all the droughts. <clears throat> I think it's like it's either it was either thirty or sixty reservoirs been shut down in the past couple of decades in the UK. And it's like, okay, so we're gonna see droughts, and we're like, we've been getting told, okay, things we might get a bit hotter. It's gonna get like more extreme climate things, and then we're shutting down the reservoirs. Yeah, but what is the reason for that? Because well, I'd say it's probably because they've uh this they probably sold it off, sold off the land. Uh, it's expensive probably to yeah, maintain. Yeah. Either that or they're just give no fucks and just like yeah, well you know someone's offered to buy this bit of land as a reservoir. You know, it's all right now. We don't need it right now. Why would we have any sort of provisions like like you know why would we keep PPE instead of selling that off? Uh, it is <laughs> like we do. It is so funny and, and frustrating when you hear about, like, governmental faux pas and you're like, this is the sort of shit that happens at a dodgy small business. Yeah. How is this happening at a governmental level? I, I spoke to um, a disaster planner. So her whole job is to have, like, preparedness plans for different uh, disasters should they eventuate for the government. Mm. And what she was saying, what tends to happen is you have a plan implemented under the leader and then the new leader comes in and as part of their stamping the uh their mark on the the leadership they will want new plans done up but they don't reference each other because they're moving at pace and they part of what they're doing is they're the new hot shit team to come in and do it and and so what you have is these 
continual plans that just, instead of growing and getting better, they're scrapped and redone and scrapped and redone and have holes in them because, you know, people operate to a timeline and da 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 <laughs> And you're like, okay, I get that in my job. If I leave, I'm a lazy fuck. I'm going to give a shit handover. And the next person who starts is going to have to reinvent the wheel a bit. But, you know... I'm selling IT. I'm not fucking coming up with disaster plans for what happens if there's a flood. What happens if there are like mm. nobody's livelihood depends on my hand over. Yeah. Yeah. And then the best bit is like when people scream about, about the deep state, right? Which is 100% a legitimate thing. There are like entrenched bureaucrats who have been there forever, right? Yeah. But in some cases, right? That's a good thing. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Like in in like I've, I'm lucky in this in that like from coming from Northern Ireland, we have had. <laughs> I don't know how familiar you are with our situation. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I I I'm always entertained at how euphemistically it's put. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the um, we had the record for no government, basically in the world ever, apart from Belgium. Well, actually, sorry, we beat Belgium and then they didn't give us the fucking record because it was only a local government, like assembly thing, even though it's like it's like the equivalent of Scotland's like yeah. parliament. But we had we didn't have a government there for over three years because they just refused to agree. Yeah. They just refused to form a government. All of them. Like the, the, <laughs> like like Sinn Féin were, were, were screaming about this Irish language act. Um, about how like some of the signs in Belfast had to be in Irish, and that was their fucking hill to die on for whatever fucking reason that yeah, was. Yeah, like yeah. like we were promised it, and it's like great, but you know, like hospitals, schools, yeah, hospitals, schools, like uh, pe pe people dying. You can, yeah. you can, some of this can be sorted out in the amendments. It's what they're for. <laughs> yeah, and the the DUP were were so horrendously entrenched opposed to it that you were just like, oh fuck off, just give it to them. Like schools, hospitals, like do you know? <laughs> it was anyway. We had no government, and and for, like. And we had, for I think about fifty percent of my adult life, we've had no government, right? It keeps happening, shit like this. And like right now, we have like um, they wanted the DUP announced before the last election that they would not form a government unless Britain and the EU sorted out the protocol, right? And I'm not going to go into the fucking details of the stupid fucking protocol, right? But they were they announced openly, it's like you sort this out or we will not form a government. And then like they didn't sort it out. They got elected, and it's like shocked Pikachu face. They didn't form a government, like, and then they think that like that, like Rishi Sunak believes that just like calling another election is gonna solve the problem, and it's like no no no. Everyone that voted for the DUP knew voted on the last time, knowing that they would not form a government. And do you know what? They all voted for them anyway. Yeah. So that is like they clearly care like, so much either that they're so opposed to Sinn Fein or they care so much about the protocol that they just were fine with them not forming a government. And nothing will happen. But in the meantime, amidst all this madness where we don't have a government, the civil service continues to run the country. And aside from like things where you need like an urgent vote or decision where things have to change or be extended. They're Nobody died. No, like nothing, oh, no. nothing happened. Like, like everything continued to run. The bins continued to be collected. Like, like <laughs> most of our governments <laughs> are run by the fucking deep states or the civil service, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The bureaucrats are the ones running most of the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so fucking odd. It's funny that you mentioned that the bins still got picked up because I was in Edinburgh. Where Scotland do have a government in in August for the oh yeah there was the and they had a bin strike and so they had a th the first and only thirty degree day that I'm sure Edinburgh's ever 
had. <laughs> and you had all these stinky bins on the street because, uh, yeah, I mean, it is very odd that, that you seem to have a more functional government. With... Yeah, with no government. I mean, what's that tell you? The libertarians will tell you that that's how it's meant to be. <laughs> oh, wild world we live in, isn't it? So, yeah, tell me a bit about the fringe, man. Like, what, what, what was it like up there? What were you doing? I, yeah, tell, tell me about the show. Like, you, you, yeah, you've got your show coming up on what, yeah, the 7th, 17th of November? 17th of November. So, yeah, I, I was up there. It's a, the, the second little solo show I did. And to be honest, you, like, it's the first time I only did a week. And comedians will, will, will rightfully tell you how exhausting Edinburgh is. There's like 5,000 5, over that shows. Um, they start at like 10 a.m. They finish at like 3 a.m. Um, it is fucking hectic and you're always just trying to get people to your, your show and whatever. And I, th this time, rather than doing the month, I was like, let's see if I consolidate it down to a week, whether that will work. And so I did a week, every show was sold out and I got in, I got out, I didn't lose my mind. And it was the best Edinburgh experience I've ever had. And I'm never doing a month again. <laughs> So how do you like? How did you even get into comedy? Like when when was that a thing that like? I it's I, not normally what children dream of doing. Yeah no I I I uh I used to go Melbourne's got quite a decent comedy festival so I used to go with my old man it was like one of our kind of um you know when I was like sixteen we had a couple TV comedians we like we'd go see them and then. I, I would like branch out and see something with my friends before and then see the big name with my dad later. And so I was seeing a, like maybe three or four shows a year from when I was like maybe 13, 14 to maybe 18. And uh, then I was like, okay, well, how does, I mean, luckily, because there are some new comics who see that and they go, I could talk for an hour and be funny, which is absolutely not. It's like five minutes is tough to begin with. So I was like, I'll, I'll see how people start out. So I went to the open mics. I was going to them for a couple of months. And, and open mics are a, oh boy, they're a world unto their own. They're, they're a vastly different quality and vastly different um, types of humor. But eventually I saw one dude who to this day is the worst act I've ever ever seen <laughs> i i i don't know <laughs> what, what was so bad about it i think it was the sort of thing that if i described it to you it could sound like it was genius anti-comedy but it was just bad it went on stage eating a cheeseburger um <laughs> it was incoherent ramblings and then he would kind of like somebody doing a shit Jerry Seinfeld impersonation. Once he got to the end of his shit rambling where the joke should have been, he'd wait, there would be no laughs and he'd yell at them. Do you know what I'm talking about? And by the end of it, he was like, you guys don't get me. And I was like, no, no, every word you've said in isolation makes sense. As a collection, they don't. And more importantly, they're just not funny. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? And, and, and yeah, but he really berated the audience for the second half of his set about him being too intellectual. And I was like, oh, dude, you know, I mean, nothing you've said is not something I've heard before. It's just, you, you got to be funny. At one point he pulled out the newspaper and was like, okay, I guess you want something topical. And he like tried to improv off the news headlines terribly. It was just, like I said, it sounds like genius anti-comedy. 
but it wasn't. It was terrible. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds like someone parodying a comedian getting on stage with no material. Yeah. But I mean, he was actually just... <laughs> yeah, and then to begin with, he had what he thought was material. It was sometimes, and to be honest, like... For it to stand out is is special because there are lots of people who just aren't funny. And, and, and to be honest, even lots of people who are funny who... Like, comedy is one of the weird things where the practice is also a performance, right? You can't practice to yourself. You mm. find out if it's funny. The audience tell you, right? You yeah. you don't know. And so, you know, you can do great pronouns and somebody's slaying and they catch their new bit because the comedian secret is you catch your new bit in the middle when the audience already like you and you've got momentum and there is sometimes a bit of pavlovian like they won't laugh as much as the joke before but they might laugh a bit because they like you and they understood the rhythm and so ah some people just respond to it and probably afterwards they go actually i don't think that was that funny why the fuck do i laugh but they respond to the rhythm of it right yeah. um or they're in like you're in a good mood like yeah, it's funny man yeah, yeah. But but this was not like this was not oh in a different context this would be funny no this was just I, I can't tell I can't begin to tell you why you thought that but yeah um so I saw him he was that bad and I remember up until that point I guess I was toying with the I hadn't started writing but I was toying with the idea that maybe I should give this a go and I saw him and I was like at least now I know. No matter what I do, I won't be the worst person <laughs> to have done it. And that was <laughs> that was the kick up the arse. And I was like, okay. And then I, I started writing some stuff. And, you know, years later, here I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, I think everyone, everyone's like had that thought. I could do that. We're watching the stand-up comedian that's not particularly good. Yeah. Right. I could be funnier than this guy. Yeah. Like, and there's there's very few people who, oh, Max has finally crashed the podcast. Um, there's very few people who are actually capable of being funny, especially off the cuff and especially just like straight up for an hour. There's like, there's like a handful of comedians that I, I think are, can do that. Like, like Bill Burr is yeah. one of them. Bill, fucking Bill Burr is so funny. Oh, yeah. And, and Tim Dillon, who is possibly one of my, I think my favorite comedian, especially at the minute. Yeah. Like he's, he, like, I, I don't know if you've ever watched his podcast, holy shit man and it is just him off the cuff for an hour yeah. but he is fucking hilarious yeah like I the need to guy is just and honestly do you know what the saddest part is is his podcast is like he had the greatest formula that i can possibly ever say it was him and it was like his best mate right who was also yeah. his producer but he would just his producer would basically say about 10 words an episode <laughs> he would just sit there and like tim tim dylan would just run at him Right, and just he would be trying to make him laugh, That's right? A, yeah, which really worked because then he would just be like giggling, like fuck. But he was just like pissing himself laughing, and that made it even funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he's like, his producer's gone and left him, and he's just been. He's it's, it feels like he's drifting. It's not as funny anymore because he's you like want trying somebody to... to respond to that you understand and that you know it's a clear. It, it is actually one of the things, actually, for better and worse, it is one of the things they say to new comedians starting out, which is deliver it like you're telling your best friend a story, right? Because then then it it becomes not amorphous and you give it more personality and blah, 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 which is perfect for that scenario. Where it sucks is that, oh, well, not for me, actually, it's quite entertaining, but the biggest egos tend to be the ones who go, I'm the funny bloke in the, in, and it's, it tends to be dudes who are like, I'm the funny one in the group. 
And so then they they get on stage and they'll tell the same story of how they went to Magaluf with a mate and he got lost and this one fingered a stripper and ah, what are we like? What are we like? And it's like, oh, I get this is a funny story for you to tell between yourselves, I guess. Yeah. Because you were all there. You know the context of... Jono running off to the, behind the dumpster to throw up at 3am is, oh, this is classic Jono. He yeah, does yeah. this every time. Yeah, yeah. But the audience don't give a fuck. They don't know that. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're just like, oh, all you're doing is telling me a, a, a story that I don't give a fuck about any of the characters and you've wasted my time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's definitely it. It's like there's, there's stories that are funny to hear when it's just you and a few mates with a beer. Yeah. And then there's the things that are actually fucking funny as jokes. And, and so, so I think a lot of people probably fucking confuse that. I've definitely had the thought, I could do that. I don't think I could do that. Like, I like to think I'm a funny guy. But I don't think I'd be funny standing on stage trying to tell jokes. I think it's a learnable skill. I genuinely do. Oh, I, yeah, yeah. But I, I don't know if I'm willing to go through Well, the that's the thing. You have to bombing. suffer. You yeah. have to suffer. It's a learnable skill if you suffer for it. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I've been through, like, I've been through it with this fucking show. Yeah. I fucking sucked. I sucked so bad as a host. And I'm not saying I'm an amazing host now, yeah. but comparative to where I was when I began, holy fuck. Yeah. And yeah. I've learned, you know, don't get really high before the interview. Like, <laughs> you know, which is definitely a thing many comedians have had to learn. Yeah. And, like, and just, like, I don't know, like, how, how to keep a conversation going, how to ask the right questions, how to listen for the things that are interesting. Yeah. And, and it's de- like, there's, there's most things are definitely a skill, but comedy is the one where you, like, if when I was making the podcast at the start, right, and there was 50 people listening, yeah. max, right? Yeah. Didn't give a fuck, you know? Doesn't matter. I'm failing in front of 50 people, and half of them are fre- my friends who are pity listening to the first 10 minutes and yeah. they're turning it off, right? Yeah. It's de- <laughs> Like, which is fine. Like, I never tried to get my friends to listen to this, ever. Like, I'll talk to them. I'll be like, oh, I was talking to this cool guy. And at some point, they'll be like, oh, you know, I checked out this episode. And, like, I never pushed them to do it. Because, like, especially at the start, I was like, I know I suck. Yeah. Uh, whereas comedy, you have to go up there just bomb. Yeah. I, I think, I mean, I think the harder thing than learning through sucking. Because, I, I mean, I had and i think it's a pretty standard one where like you start off i think the people who stick to it are usually not the people who bomb dead mm. for the start like i think most of the people who stick to it are people who got roughly some degree of positive enforcement at the start but you listen back and you go oh you know if i got the laugh i got in that gig that i was thrilled with if i got it today that joke gets cut right but <laughs> but, but what what is tough and you I don't think you ever grow out of is writing a joke and going, this, this is the one, this is my, you know, this is my opus. This is my (laughs) odyssey. And you go bang and you deliver it with all of the, oh, I can, I can see the TV deals coming in and you just get the audience going nah. And then some shitty thought you think of on stage to try and save this thing you thought was brilliant. They go, yeah, that's funny, but that thing you said, that was fucked. Why'd you say that? Don't say that again. <laughs> and you just go, oh, this is just, it's it, firmly in the realms of art, not science. <laughs> Does that happen a lot? You write a joke and then it just like, you think, oh, fuck, this is it. This is it. This is it. And then it just, nothing. 
So I have gotten to the point, and, and everybody's process is slightly different, but I've gotten to the point where I don't write jokes on paper anymore. Um, I feel like if I write them on paper, what happens is I write them like a joke book joke, and then I deliver them like a joke book joke, all the personalities out of it, and it's a bit monotonous and robotic. And so what I tend to do is I know this thing happened, or I know I have this opinion that I think is vaguely funny, and I know where A is and I know where home is, but I wait till I'm panicking in front of a bunch of people and I let the energy of being on stage either panic me in to get the punchline or teeters out. Mm. And by nature of that being my creative process, there's often times where I'm like, this is going to be good. And then, you know, the GPS shuts down halfway and you go, don't know what I was trying to get to. And, and, but the thing is like through, through being on stage enough, you have to learn how to save that. Right. Like it, there are a bunch of stand up tools that are not about writing jokes. They're just about knowing how to mood manage and, you know, knowing what your character does when they're out of place to, to get back on track is, is because again, it's one of the odd things you see with new comics and you go, oh, bless Popper, but you need to fix this, mm. which is that they let a stinking joke just stink in the room and fester. Mm. And then it gets awkward for everyone. And then the next laugh, they're not going to laugh as big because they're still going, oh, but I feel sorry for him for that mm. last joke. And then that ruins that joke and it just gets fucking worse down a cycle. So you need to like give the audience something like, I'm okay. I'm still in charge here. We're, mm. we're going to be fine. I've done this before. I I know that was shit and we're all going to be okay. You know, you can't do that six times in a row. Cause then, then your whole set's just been shit, well, yeah. <laughs> but you can get away with one or two. Do you like, do you know as well, if you're, say you have that thought you're in the fucking shower or I don't know, walking down the street, like, fuck, that's really funny. And you get, and you know, you're like, this is going to kill. Cause I was talking to someone about, about this with, um, with music the other night. Yeah. We were talking about, um, Seven Nation Army by the White Stripes, right? Sound uh, check. And I was like, was it a sound check? Did you not know this? No. So fuck, Jack okay. White used to play it as a sound check. That's how no it was written. Yeah. Fucking way. Jack White used to play it as a soundtrack. I don't. I don't know the full story. I don't know if somebody else said to him, "Hey, that thing you play in sound check is dope, and yeah. you need to make it a song." Or if he just eventually went, hang on a sec, why is this not a song? Yeah. But that's what he used to play in soundtrack. Fuck, I did not know that. Because we, I was just like, we were we were talking about it. It was like, right, do, do you think they know, like, when they come up with, like, did, did Jack White know, like, that this was going to fucking transcend? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, they're, like, that song will live forever. Yeah, yeah. That song will actually now, that riff will live forever, right? Uh, it was being sung about, about a socialist politician in Britain. Like religiously, it was it was being sung by fucking Jeremy Corbyn religiously, and I, like like how the fuck does that happen from a song from like this little indie rock duo? Yeah. Like uh, uh, or like um, what, what are the other ones we mentioned? Oh yeah, Sex on Fire by by Kings Leon. Yeah. Like, do you think like um your boy Caleb was sitting there like do 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 do, and he's like oh 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 okay yeah we've got like fucking number one on our hands here because. I know I've listened to, to, to Kelly Jones say that he knew it when he when he wrote Dakota, you know the song by Stereophonics. Yeah, yeah. He was like, I called, I immediately called my manager. I was like, we've got it, we've got the number one. Yeah. And then he was like, all right, okay. And then but he was like, no, 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 I know with this one. Yeah. And like, do you find that with jokes sometimes? Like you really know, or is it really like a 
you're standing there on stage being like, right, okay, let's see how this one, like, let's open this can of worms. <laughs> I reckon it's once bitten, twice shy. I yeah. reckon it, early on in your, your performing history, you get that feeling and you're confident about it, right? And sometimes you're right and sometimes you're wrong. But then you have enough that just, you know, where, where the manager was right and Kelly is wrong. She, so you're not calling up the gigs. Like, I'm not calling Angel going, guys, you got to put me on because of this one shower joke I've got. Because you, you know what I mean? And, and so you, you plan accordingly. You'll try your new jokes in like a open mic where nobody is paid just in case that it's uh, one that goes down the gurgler. And, and then equally the other way, like the sound check thing, like, I had, uh, again, because a lot of like what I do is like actually participating in life and reporting back maybe. <laughs> um, I had a thing where, where when I flew home to Australia after the pandemic for the first time, I took, I, I take Valium on flights. I forgot the half-life. I took three Valiums and it meant that the first time my parents saw me after the pandemic, they were all super emotional and I'm three Valium in the Zen. I'm my mum's just fucking bawling. Oh, I thought you were going to die. Yeah, it was probably been for like fucking two years. Yes, right? two years because it was like illegal. You couldn't fly in. You couldn't, yeah, yeah, there yeah. were no flights. Um, the only way you could get to Australia is on a repatriation flight. There was only 500 people per day allowed to land in the country, not in a state, in the country. You had to go to hotel quarantine that was taken by the government to a hotel Jeez. at your expense. Oh, was that, was, were those, those fucking like fenced in things? Yeah. Yeah. Had... Oh, well, some of them were actual hotels, like the, okay. the, the, like crown or whatever. Oh, no, wait, hang on. Wasn't, wasn't you had there to the pay fucking... for it? Yeah. But wasn't there the fucking guards that were like, there was an outbreak the... because yeah, yeah, the guards yeah. fucked people in quarantine, which is the most predictable human behavior <laughs> ever. Like, of course it's just it's dumb, but you, there, there should be a, <laughs> you know, no shit, Sherlock. Like, yeah. <laughs> what do you What do you expect? You've got these guards guarding literal passengers. They've got nothing to do. You've got everybody, including mega babes, just fucking. What? Yeah. I mean, it was a oh, dumb man. thing. But yeah. So yeah, my mum's in bits, and I'm just like, oh, I thought you were gonna die. It's so good to see you. And I'm just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and I remember telling that story for ages just to people and a couple of people were like you should tell that on stage and i was like oh i don't think it's quite long blah 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 blah, blah. and then i was doing a, a comedy game show that's called like depression versus anxiety and i talk about anxiety or whatever and uh the audience got on one about their different what they take or whatever and i was like i'll do the valium story i guess because it, it it this is how i would have wrote it anyway i wouldn't have written a joke i would have just come up with it on stage and so we're talking about and anyway, it went, it, now I, I like now I will close a pro show with that story that I was telling for a year before I put it in my stand-up set because for me, that wasn't a stand-up joke. That was a story outside. So you don't... I think you get better at roughly knowing and I think you get better at mitigating the edges. Like your, mm. your, your terrible jokes are less terrible and you're better at saving them or whatever. But... Absolutely, you can still go on stage with a joke that is like, this is the shit, and you will find out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the blessing and the curse is that it is all like, because even actually, even more ridiculous within that. So, you know, Edinburgh, I did seven shows. Last time I did 20. Same show, 
every day. Mm. You, you you do some improv, you do some crowd work, you react to some things in the room. But the, the meat and potato, if you're on stage for an hour, 45 minutes, same, every night. And within that, you can have a joke that is round of applause, 10 nights, mm. big laugh, seven, and three nights... And they could be nights that go well and they just laugh at other places. But three nights, they go, nah, that one's not for me. And you sit there and you go, statistically, you're the wrong ones. I've done this joke <laughs> enough to know statistically I am right and you are wrong here. <laughs> Do you ever turn around to them and say that? Just be like, look, guys, I know, I know you, you, you think you're, you know what's funny, but really... I know, because most people laugh at this joke. I, and therefore, you're wrong. And I, honestly, like, if you just want to give me the laugh now, that would be great, because, like, you owe me it. And <laughs> I have done something a little bit similar at my last show at, at Edinburgh. So, I, I, like I said, this was a seven-night run, sold out every night, and uh, all the first six were fantastic. On show seven, I'm like, I may as well film this so that I've got a record of it. And... Um, 15 minutes in, I was very aware that this was the anomaly audience. Like, they were no good, and I have chosen to capture forever the duds. And I did. It was one of those things where there's two things, right? One is, if they're not responding to what you prepared, and and, and what you prepared is thematic and similar, Mm. then ploughing this car into the wall harder is not going to be fun for anyone, right? So, so you got to change track. You got to react. And then the second is, uh, also, it has to be fun for you, right? So, me trying to become an absurdist on stage overnight is not going to be fun for everyone, anyone. So, on this particular show, I was like, okay, well, what if my character is angrier at them for being wrong? And I, I did, I did point out. I was like, guys, I, d- I don't want to don't want to like put too much pressure on you, but I've done this show. This is seven time. It's been fantastic. Every I'm filming you. If anything, there's more pressure on you than me. Cause I know how the show goes. So if you want to up your game, like you'll be remembered as the audience that you deserve to be, or you can sit there smack face and just look at me for a bit. And we can all walk out of here 45 minutes, just a bit upset with each other. <laughs> how did they take it? To be fair, um, most of them responded all right. They, yeah. they, 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 it wasn't like I went straight into the show. There was um, a bit more padding around that. They, they laughed at that. There was a bit of, um, you know, I can't even remember. There was a bit of me getting into some crowd work to just like re-engage. Because crowd work, I hate, i got to be honest, I hate. I'm there to talk about me, not you. I could give a shit what you did going to the shops, right? Like, I, I, all comedians have a level of narcissism. Me too. I'm not there to find out. We're not mates. I'm not going to get a beer with you. I don't care what you did today. <laughs> I don't... One of my most frustrating things to see at a comedy night, because every MC goes around and, and asks people what they do, because crowd work is good, right? But almost every time you do that, there'll be an accountant or a... Or even worse, like somebody who works in a really earnest job in mental health charities or something. And and the MT will have to go, oh, nothing funny about that. I'll have to move on. And it's like, no, there's nothing funny about half what these fuckers do. Because if there was, they'd be up there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, to be fair, my favourite my favorite comedian of all time for his crowd work is definitely Al Murray. 
Yeah. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Just because it's absolutely brilliant. He's like, so what do you do, darling? He'll be like, so what's your name? Suzanne, my oh, beautiful British name. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so, so what do you do? She's like, it's like the correct answer is a nurse or secretary. <laughs> and no matter what job, it's like, she'd be like, oh, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a legal assistant. So secretary. Like, <laughs> it's fucking brilliant. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I have to say, Al Murray, if you're watching, please come on the show. Uh, but anyway, man, uh, we blasted past an hour here. Cool. And I'm aware you got, you got to fly. So uh, 17th of November. 17th of November, the Pleasance in North London. Really cool little theater. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks for that. Twitter. Hi, Twitter. Hi, Bro Drivel. Like, fucking promote your yeah. shit, man. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yes, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll do that. So, I have a podcast where I invite another comedian and an expert in a, in a various field. We've had, like, people who work on black holes at NASA or, like I said, a public uh, disaster policy maker. Bunches of stuff. Interesting jobs that you don't even know exist sometimes. Uh, that's at Anthony Janot or Hi, Bro Drivel. Um, and then Instagram is... 50% photos of me on holiday, 50% gigs and videos of funny stuff because I'm not narcissistic enough to get two accounts, but it does mean you have to put up with me in Barbados a bit. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, I'll put the links for all that shit in the description below. Um, and yeah, man, thanks very much. Thanks, Otto. Pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks for making it right the way to the end of the podcast. I love that you tuned in this long. Do me a favor, hit subscribe because 80% of you bastards are not subscribing, but you're watching my videos. See you next time. So whenever I'd be out for a walk, whenever I was going to cook dinner, whenever I was doing cleaning, I always used to spend my time listening to music. And I still really enjoy listening to a lot of music. But what I've discovered is that I can consume so many more books when I'm using something like Open Audible. It's a fantastic, fantastic way for me to make my way through all the things I have to read for this podcast, for things I want to read for fun. That's like fiction and nonfiction. Sometimes I actually prefer fiction when it's being read to me. Uh, I like someone doing the voices, like someone, you know, really getting into the characters. In the case of both fiction and nonfiction, it allows me to spend way more time visualizing what I'm reading. So I can think more about the ideas. I can think more about the scenes that people are trying to paint. And ultimately it just gives my brain more space to think because I'm not concentrating on the words in front of me or trying to stay focused on it. Instead, I can just sort of mindlessly get on with whatever task I'm doing and listening via Open Audible. Now, the reason Open Audible is great is because it allows me to do it straight from my desktop. I try to stay away from my phone as much as possible in order to sort of maximize my productivity because it can be a very fast way to waste half an hour. Whereas if I just open my laptop and hit play on Open Audible, I can connect it to my Bluetooth speaker and then I don't even have to go anywhere near my phone. Do you like free stuff? I'm sure you do. Well, I'm going to give away a free copy of Open Audible to one lucky person that signs up for my mailing list in the next month. Now, those of you who are already signed up, don't worry. You can be involved in the draw as well. Just give me a rating or review on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts and post it on Twitter. Send it to me via email. Respond to something I've posted on YouTube. Somewhere you can prove you've got a screenshot and I will enter you in the draw. I have to admit, I used to be a little bit of a book snob. I wouldn't even consider a Kindle, let alone an audiobook. It just felt like cheating. But that is until I tried Audible and Open Audible. Ever wonder where I find the time to read all the books that my guests have written on this show? Well, this is the answer. When I'm behind in my reading, I just jump to audiobook. 
OpenAudible is a cross-platform audiobook manager designed for Audible users that can allow you to download, view, manage, and connect your favorite audiobooks on MP3 so that you can enjoy them across all your devices. Best of all, you can control it all from a desktop application. I'm giving away a copy of OpenAudible for the entire month of November. All you have to do is sign up to my mailing list. You'll find the link in the description below or go to openaudible.org for more information.